Welcome back to the Grand Valley Church Podcast, a community of faith in Brandon, Manitoba. We hope this message helps you meet Jesus and grow in faith. So as I mentioned before, we're doing this series called Christmas Together, and we're talking about the, the themes of Advent, of joy, hope, love, and peace through this lens of kind of relationships and how do we connect with one another, how do we connect uh, within our families, with our friends, with our loved ones through this Christmas time. And last week, we talked about joy, and we talked about how joy is a choice. And in many ways, hope is a choice as well. It's something we have to choose to look towards. See, hope is to have a positive outlook for what's currently now or what's coming in the future and, you know, we oftentimes we think of this in terms of like optimism or pessimism. Are you a, a glass half full kind of person or a glass half empty kind of person? How do, you, well, how do you see the world? And in all of us, that's a choice. It's not actually something that's just by default. We may have one that we lean towards, but we can choose if we want to see a circumstance or a situation with a positive outlook or a negative outlook. And hope is part of that. And hope comes easier to some of us than others. Hope sometimes may be just your, your natural inclination. I'm actually not one of those people. I'm more pessimistic than I tend to be an optimist. You know, and, and, real, and sometimes we like to say this, and, and I'm guilty of this, and maybe you don't have to nod or stick up your hand or anything, but I say, like, no, I'm not a pessimist. I'm a realist. Like, realist is just code for pessimist. Like, let's, let's just be honest with ourselves. And so today we're talking about this. How do we have a more hopeful perspective. And we're going to be looking at this through a specific lens, through this lens of tradition. And how do traditions help us lean towards hope? But before I get there, uh, there's something that we do around here. We use an app on your phone called the YouVersion Bible app. It's, it's the most common, the most popular Bible app. And if you pull up out your phone and you load that up and you go to the events tab, you'll see that there's an event for our Sunday morning. And you can follow along um, with the message. All the scripture passages that I'm going to read are in there. Uh, all the kind of the key points are in there. But there's something special that I want you to be part of. And that's that we have a conversation each or most weeks about our topic. And so there's three spots where where I ask a question, there's a link you can click, and you can put in your thoughts, and it'll pop up on my screen up here. Uh, and before we wrap up today, we're going to have a conversation about this topic of how do we find hope through our traditions. And so you can do that uh, on the YouVersion Bible app just by searching for Grand Valley, or it'll pop up if you have your location enabled. But last week, we talked about this. If we want to find joy in Christmas, we have to look at the promise of Jesus more than the stresses of the season. And this week with hope, it's very similar. It's a choice. Are we choosing to look for hope? But I want to start with this just kind of a simple question that we're going to come back to later. What's your favorite Christmas tradition? When you think about Christmas and you think about the traditions, or maybe it's a, it's a family practice, what's your favorite one? What stands out to you the most? And see, for me, one of those traditions is the nativity scene. And this is, my mom brought this in, this is the exact nativity scene that I remember setting up as a kid. You know, we would set up the tree and, you know, that's kind of fun and dandy and I'm, I'm not really a tree person. But what I liked was when I could actually set up the nativity scene. And in our, in our house where we, I grew up, we had one of those old foot treadle sewing machines. You know, those old Singer ones where it was like the, the stand was part of the machine and it was usually closed and we would set the nativity scene on that. And I remember, you know, setting up the cardboard of the stable and the backdrop and then pulling all these little figurines, these little porcelain precious moments figurines out of their bubble wrap and unwrapping them and setting them up. 
And there was something about it that stood out to me. There was, I remember thinking this as a kid, that actually to me, what was really cool about the nativity scene wasn't actually baby Jesus. And it wasn't actually Joseph and Mary that they came to the stable. What stood out to me was actually who were the witnesses there. What stood out to me as a kid was that it was the shepherd and the wise men. Now, I have to address a little, a little factual inaccuracy in a lot of our nativity scenes. Now, the first one is, is kind of simple. Like, baby Jesus was not blonde and did not have blue eyes. You know, his, his skin tone also was not this pale. He was born in the Middle East 2,000 years ago. You know, this is not how Jesus would have looked as a baby. But that's okay. We'll let that slide. The other one, you know, it's, it's a cute little figure. And we'll let it slide. We all know the truth. The other one is actually the wise men. See, it wasn't until I was a teenager that I was reading through the, the Christmas story one year, and I'm reading Matthew, and then this light bulb moment goes off for me, and I realize, wait a second, the wise men weren't at the birth. See, Matthew says uh, in Matthew 2 that the wise men, they came, they left Persia, like they left what was, you know, thousands of kilometers away, they left that on the night that the star rose, when they said they saw something happening and they knew something was happening in Israel in, um, in, and they went to Jerusalem first. And so they would have traveled all the way from Persia, which is modern-day Iran-Iraq area. They would have traveled by you know, camel or by walking or, or by cart all the way to Jerusalem. Then they come to Herod and they say, hey, we've come to find this newborn king of the Jews. And Herod asks his advisors, and they say, well, our scriptures say that he was born in Bethlehem. And so then they go there, and Matthew actually says this. He said, when the wise men arrived, Mary and Joseph were living in a house. They had moved to Bethlehem after Jesus was born. And so given the timeline of things, you know, these, these three guys didn't actually show up until probably about a year later, but that's okay. You know, it's, it's cute. It fits the, the nativity scene. It works. But here's the thing that stood out to me. Here's what stood out about the shepherd and the wise men. See, the shepherds of the day were unskilled labor. If you didn't have a career path, if you hadn't apprenticed under your father or an uncle or a relative, shepherding was kind of the catch-all trade of the day. If you didn't have the skills to do something else, you chose to become a shepherd. They were kind of unskilled, blue-collar labor. But the wise men are the exact opposite end of the spectrum. See, the wise men that came from Persia, they were like the political elite and the, the, what we would now look back and say, they were like the forefront scientists of the day. They were studying the world and trying to understand how it worked, and they acted as court advisors to the king of Persia. Like These were the top of the political and scientific elite of their day. And so in this nativity scene, And in the story of Jesus' birth, there's two groups that come that witness it. The blue-collar, unskilled labor and the highest political elite of another nation. Isn't that a crazy range? You know, and we also sometimes, we, we may also not realize who's missing. You know, who's missing at the nativity scene? The religious leaders of the day weren't there. And they were the ones who studied the scriptures. The Pharisees weren't there. But who was there was the opposite ends of the spectrum of society. See, this is what stood out to me even as a kid. And what every time I set this up, and even as I was putting it on this table this morning, I was thinking about this again. Jesus came for everyone. 
Jesus came for people who are at the very, what we would say, the, the, the lower levels of our society, and it shouldn't be that way. But Jesus came for anyone, no matter what your socioeconomic standing is, no matter where you slot in on society. Jesus came for them. He came for the shepherds. He came for the commoners. He came for the religious leaders even. All the way up to the political elite were the ones who recognized and came. See, when we set up a nativity, you know, it's, it's not just about the cute little figurines on a nice backdrop and everyone's smiling and, and looks happy in the, figures, in the figurines. See, there's a value under it. There's something that's important to it. And when we set up something like a nativity scene every year, you know, it was something I looked forward to when we would do our Christmas decorating once it was December. You know, that's just my own little personal thing. You know, wait till December to stick up your deck. Do whatever you want. It's fine. I'm just teasing you. But when it comes to this idea of a tradition, setting up the nativity scene was a tradition for me. And a tradition is more than just a repeated action. In fact, traditions are part of a source of our identity, our security, and our meaning. See, our identity is often formed by our customs, our rituals, the things we do regularly. And this, every December, setting this up was part of that identity piece for me. It was something I looked forward to. It was something that gave meaning to this season. It was something our family did together. And and I don't actually know the story behind this nativity scene, like where my parents got it from. But it's old, like it's, it's not new. There's probably a story behind it that I don't know. See, our traditions are part of giving us identity, of giving us shape to understanding the seasons that we're in. And oftentimes we have family traditions that may not even be related to Christmas, but we have these pieces that are about building a common identity together. See, a tradition is actually made up of two things. And this is what we're going to focus on today, is these two things and how they can point to hope is that traditions are the union of a value and a practice. So what I mean by that when I say that is that it's any tradition. The practice is what you actually do. So the practice in this is setting this up of at Christmas time, we set this up, we we reflect on its meaning as we put it together, and then every time you walk by it, you kind of look at it and it reminds you of it. That's a practice. But the value is its meaning. The value is why we do this. And we do this to remind ourselves that 2,000 years ago, God saw fit to step into our world. That he came with a purpose and a reason. That he came for us. And every time you walk by this and it's sitting you know, in the, on the mantle or on a bookshelf or, or somewhere in your living room or wherever you put it in your home, Nikki's family has this tradition, they put it underneath a tree and I'm like, it's, it's out of the way. You don't see it. Like, what's that about? But wherever you stick it. But when you go buy it, the practice is putting it up. The value is what it means. See, there's this story that might illustrate this. There's a story of a, of a newlywed couple that for the first time, they were preparing the Christmas meal and, and their parents and their siblings were all going to come to their home. And so they're starting to prepare it. And, and, you know, a lot of people are turkey people. I'm actually not. I will take the Christmas ham over the turkey any day. You may think I'm crazy for that, but that's okay. Uh, you're welcome to think that. But this couple, she gets the ham and she's starting to prepare it. And before she puts it in the pan, she slices the ends off it and tosses them out. And her, and her husband is kind of looking at him and goes, why did you just do that? Why did you cut the ends off the ham before you cooked it? And she 
is standing there looking at it and realizes, I actually don't know. And so she's like, well, I always saw my mother do that, and I'm using my mother's recipe, so I'll, I'll call my mother. And so she calls her mother and says, hey, I'm making the ham. I got a question about your recipe. Why did you cut the ends off the ham? And the mom has this moment and goes, wait a second, I don't know either. I just, just do that. It's just what you do when you cook the Christmas ham. Well, it's grandma's recipe, so let's call grandma. And so the mom and the daughter call grandma, and they ask her, hey, why do you cut the ends off the ham? And the grandma says, well, you know, we grew up in the Depression. We were pretty poor. We didn't have a pan big enough. And so we cut the ends off the ham so it would fit in the pan. See, there's a tradition, cutting the ends off the ham. The value, well, the value at one point to the grandmother was that's the only way it fit on the pan and would fit in the oven. But that value didn't carry forward to the mother or the granddaughter. See, if we have a tradition that loses its value, it becomes an empty ritual. It just becomes something we do for the sake of doing that has no meaning. Cutting the ends off the ham when it has no purpose is an empty ritual. It's a piece of repetition that has lost why we do it. See, and this is why when we talk about a tradition being a union between uh, a practice and a value, the value is actually the more important piece. Why the tradition exists. And I want to take us back in time well before Jesus was born to go to a story from Scripture that illustrates this to us. See, in the Israelite history, there was this time period when they were oppressed and they were slaves in Egypt. And God sends Moses to lead the, the Israelites out of Egypt. And he leads them into the desert. And they spend 40 years in the desert. Even though it's only a journey of 12 days, God stops them and makes them spend 40 years relying on God for their sustenance as they travel and move around and wait. And then finally the time comes when it's time for the Israelites to cross over into the promised land. And the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament is Moses' final speech, his kind of final last bit of instructions he's giving to the Israelites before they cross into this land that's been promised to them, that they're supposed to move into and settle, and they're supposed to be a nation that reveals God to the world. And so the book of Deuteronomy is this final speech, and this is how, how it starts off in chapter, chapter 6. Moses gets up and he says this to the people. He says, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And this may seem familiar to you because later on when Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment out of their entire history? And Jesus quotes this one. And then he adds something to it that's really fascinating. He says, you must love your neighbor as yourself. But this is the value this is the value behind what Moses is trying to impart on Israel before they're about to step forward across the Jordan and take possession of the land that God has set aside for them. This is the value. Now here's the practice. Moses says this, you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. And then he goes even further. He says, tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads as a reminder. Now, he's not saying you actually have to put it on your forehead. He's saying when he says wear them on your forehead, it's a figure of speech to say this needs to be front and center in your mind constantly. And then Moses says, write them on the doorposts of your house and on the gates. 
so that you cannot come and go from your house without remembering that we need to love God above all else. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. See, this is Moses instituting a tradition. There's a value and a practice. And when they're put together and when they're lived out, that is what a tradition is. And so Moses doesn't enter into the promised land. He, ha- he passes away. Leadership gets handed over to Joshua. And Joshua is the one who leads the Israelites into what is you know, into Israel, and they take the land, but there's a problem with it. They didn't follow their tradition. They didn't hold to this what Moses had asked them to. And so the whole book, um, so after Deuteronomy is the book of Joshua, and Joshua is the story of them moving into the land. And then right after Joshua is this book called Judges. And, and Judges is about the seven different rulers that God raised up at different time periods. But Judges starts with this really fascinating description of the people and description of what was happening. And Judges says this, After that generation died, referring to the generation that heard Moses firsthand, that stepped into the promised land, after that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. It took one generation for the Israelites to forget their traditions. It took one generation for them to forget the practices that were supposed to teach them the value of their relationship with God. One generation was all that it took for that tradition to to end. And then the rest of the book of Judges is the story of time after time, seven cycles of the Israelites falling into oppression and God raising up a leader to lead the people and reform them and they come back to their relationship with God and things are good for a time. And then that leader dies and the next generation falls back. And this happens seven times over through the book of Judges. Seven times over, the next generation did not hold to the traditions and the practices and the values that were supposed to keep them in their relationship with God. See, that's one of the ways that traditions lose their meaning is when we simply, we just forget them. We just let go of them completely and we, you know, losing the practice may not be that bad. But losing the value, that's where the issue is. And in fact, there's a second way that sometimes we lose our traditions. And this is one that Jesus had to encounter and deal with during his ministry. So about 30 years after his birth, when he's in Jerusalem, there's only one group of people that Jesus was ever critical of. Sometimes we have this in our minds that we think, you know, Jesus must have been so critical and so harsh. But there was only one group of people that he ever spoke harshly to. And that was the people who should have gotten it. The religious leaders of the day the Pharisees, um, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, the people that should have understood what God was doing in the world. And so Matthew, uh, Matthew 23 records this speech that Jesus tells to the crowd and to the disciples. And he says this, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses, the, the law that was given thousands of years earlier. And this is what Jesus says, so practice and obey what they tell you But don't follow their example. For they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. 
And Jesus goes on, he, he criticizes them. He says, everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside. And that's, um, remember before it said, you know, buy, tie them to your arms and wear them on your forehead. The Pharisees had this practice that they would build these little ornate wooden boxes and they would put a piece of, of scripture, usually that passage from Deuteronomy 6. They would write it out on a manuscript, put it in the little box, and then they would tie that to their arms. And how big and ornate it was, was how important your status was. See, talk about missing the point. It wasn't about this becoming an item you wear for show to say how devout you are. It was about living it out and having it transform and shape our lives. And so this is, Jesus goes on, he says, and they love to sit at the head table at banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogues. See, they took the value and they left it behind And all they cared about was keeping the practice for their own benefit. See, that's again why we come to this. We say that a tradition without its value is an empty ritual. So I want to ask you a question. Think of a Christmas tradition that you have. What's the value that it teaches? What's the why behind it? What stands out to you? You know, do we set up a nativity scene just because it looks pretty? Or does it teach us and remind us something about who we are and who God is and what he's done for us? See, traditions can be this link to who we are or to who we were in the past and link to the history within our families, the history within our walk with God. But traditions also have a very important purpose. And this is one that often gets left behind. Our traditions are meant to point us towards the future. See, our traditions must evolve and adapt and shift over time to keep that value at the center. See, if we have a a, a tradition and we start losing the value behind it, sometimes what we have to do is we have to update the practice, maybe change what we're doing so that it points us back towards the value. See, with the nativity scene, How do we adapt? How do we update? How do we maybe add something to it to remind us of the value behind why we have it? How does that, this piece from our history, how does that point towards today and point towards the future and lead us to hope? And so I want to give you three little steps, and then I'm going to give you, at the very end, I'm going to give you an example of how this works out. See, if we want to update or create a tradition... The first step we have to do is we have to understand the value. What's the reason why? Why does this matter? When Moses was talking to the Israelites, remember he started with that piece of saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the value. That's the important piece. We have to understand that clearly. And once we understand the value, then we need to say, how do we create a practice that teaches that? How do we create something that reinforces us, that causes us to come back to it? See, that's why Moses said, you know, write this on the doorposts of your, home, of your doors and on your gate so that every day you walk past it and it reminds you of it. You know, oftentimes you've maybe heard of, you know, putting a sticky note on your bathroom mirror because it's something you look at every single morning, reminding yourself, you know, maybe it's something that God's promised you. Maybe it's something, a passage of scripture that helps you orientate yourself. Maybe it's just a reminder of the person you want to be. But what's the practice that makes you encounter it on a regular basis? And thirdly, 
You have to figure out how to reinforce the tradition consistently. How do you, setting it up once doesn't make it a tradition. Setting it up, you know, for a nativity scene. If we just did this once and then the next year we kind of went, eh, I'm not going to bother setting it up. Well, that's not a tradition anymore. Our traditions we have to reinforce consistently. And this is why. See, hope is a choice to look for how our lives and our world can be better than they currently are. See, when I look at a nativity scene, and I look at that gap between the shepherds and the wise men, it reminds me every single time that Jesus came for everyone. Jesus came for everyone, no matter what our, what our, our standing is, no matter where we live, no matter what we do. Jesus came for us. See, the, the, the birth of Jesus, we, we talked about last week, was the stress that Mary and Joseph were under. Jesus broke the 400-year silence when he came into the world. It was this moment of restoring hope for the future. And when we set this up, are we thinking, well, that was hope for 2,000 years ago? No. Jesus is still hope for today and hope for the future of what could be. These wise men traveled thousands of miles to be there to witness something that was spectacular, that was incredible, that they knew something was happening. Even if they didn't fully understand it, they knew they had to travel. Think of the cost of that, of saying, we're going to take a trip. We don't know exactly where we're going. It's going to take us months to get there. And when we get there, we're going to see a baby, an infant that can't do anything for themselves. And we're going to come with gifts. And then we're going to head back. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of a crazy trip when you think of it. But the reason behind it was that they saw that things were changing. There was hope that the world would shift and not be what it always was before. And that's why hope in our traditions matters, because it's not about looking back. It's about looking at what's now and what's coming up in the future. Are we hopeful for what God is still yet to do in our lives, in our family, in our friends, in our coworkers? Are we hopeful for what God still has to do in our neighborhoods, in our community, in our city, in our country, in our world? Are we hopeful for what God is still able to do and for what God wants to do? See, our traditions don't have to be about looking back. But when our traditions lead us towards hope, we will start to see our lives and our future with the same hope that God has for our world. When Jesus came, it was hope stepping into the world. Mary and Joseph were stressed at first, but they chose to see God in what was happening. And for 30 years, Jesus grew up. And Mary and Joseph knew what would someday happen, that someday Jesus would do something that would be about renewing people's relationship with God, that Jesus would set into motion all the events that had been promised about. You know, do we have that kind of hope? That even though things as they are today and as, our, as we see the world right now or maybe whatever the, the situation, the, the stressful piece that's in front of us that we're trying to work through and figure out, 
Do we have a longer term picture to realize that God has a plan and God has a hope for what will come? Do we choose to focus on that? See, that's how our traditions can draw us back to it. And so I want to ask this third question. We're going to have some discussion time together. And then we're going to end. I'm going to give you a really concrete way of how do we do this? How do we build traditions that lead us to hope? And so I want to ask this third question. How are you finding hope for today and for the future in the birth of Jesus? How are you choosing to find hope? And so um, Gord has a, has a microphone back there. I'm going to read a couple of the responses that come out. I think we're going to jump straight to question two to discuss, but let me read you what came in for number one. Yeah, a lot of these, you know, very easily could be my traditions too. People saying, what's your favorite? It's gathering together as a family, gathering together for dinner, opening gifts together after church on Christmas Eve. You know, we could do a quick poll, who's Christmas Eve, open gifts, who's Christmas Day. But here's the piece, the dark house and the bright tree lights. You know, I talked a little bit last, last week about this picture that we have of looking down into our living room and Olivia standing looking at this tree that's lit up and the rest of the room is dark. And it's just like, that's the picture of hope and joy that I want to hold to, to see it through our kids' eyes. But I want to move to the second one. What's a Christmas tradition you have and the value that it teaches? And I'm, I'm going to read two of the ones in here, and then we're going to open it up for conversation of saying, one, my grandpa would make us listen to the Christmas story from the Bible before opening gifts. Frustrating as a kid, but a forced refocus for all of us. <laughs> I, I, I could see that from both sides of the picture. I'm sure you can too. Um, Uh, Getting together with our elders teaches us and our kids to serve and honor our elders. Um, Christmas caroling for sick and shut-in people helps us remember those who are struggling and attempt to encourage others in difficult times. Um, What else? What is a tradition you have and the value behind it? Um, If you have something, just stick your hand up and Gord's going to bring you a microphone so that we can all um, hear what you have to say. So this was true when I was a kid and we try to make it true in our house. It's decorating the Christmas tree. You could have a really, really, really nice Christmas tree if you did not include your kids in the process, right? But uh, as and as long as I can remember, and then as long as we've had kids, we we've uh, included our kids in that and made it a family thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like a fairly direct kind of. It's not about the way things look. It's about the time that you spend together. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What else? Any other any other thoughts on this? What's a tradition you have and the and the value behind it? How about for this? Let's move to this third question. How are you choosing to find hope for today and for the future through the birth of Jesus? One of the responses that came in here saying that I've been learning to receive to receive Jesus without offering any kind of attempted good behavior payback because I can't pay him back for the gift and I'll lose the miracle if I try. Mary and Joseph didn't do anything to deserve Jesus coming. The Israelites didn't do anything to deserve that the Son of God would step into the world, that God himself would put on flesh and come in. It was a gift to receive. That one's special. Thanks for posting that, whoever did. How about, how about for you? What's, is, how are you finding hope? Does anyone have a, have a piece of that that they'd like to share? 
I read something online from another person who used to be part of my church, and they were looking at a nativity scene and looking at the baby Jesus, and then they realized what he was, what he came down to earth to do, and what the end of his life would be like, and they just found so much joy and hope and found that that was very that was very hopeful and that he would come come down as a baby to to die for us and to have that salvation see god could have just like jesus could have just come into the world as a grown man he could have but he didn't he came as a child because there's that inherent hope that comes with it. And yes, exactly that. That hope that God has for us is for us to be in that relationship, that saving salvation relationship with God. You know, ultimately, that's the hope that I always keep coming back to as well. So I want to give you an example of of all of this wrapped up together. And this is an example that I didn't come up with. In fact, it was someone shared it with me. It was a, a blogger came up with this idea and wrote a post about it. And I want to invite you to, if you're on the YouVersion app, there's a link at the bottom to a blog. It's called Story of This Life. And there's this example in here of, of building a practice around setting up the nativity scene, but doing it slowly. And they have a 25-day or a 12-day version. And so the 12-day version would start this week. And what it is, is each day for the 12 days leading up towards Christmas, you add one piece to the nativity scene. And so on day one, you start with just the stable or the backdrop and read, and there's a, a list of scripture passages that go with this, and we're going to post this all on our, on our Facebook and our social media pages for you to find after as well. But it starts with the stable. It starts with remembering that Mary and, jo- and Joseph had no place to go. When they came to Bethlehem, they were turned away, even though they would have had relatives there. This is, this is Joseph's hometown. Not one relative took them in, but God provided for them in a stable. And then the next, the next one, um, I'm I'm going from memory, so forgive me if I have them out of order, is, is the star or the angel of recognizing that the angel Gabriel came to give a message to Mary. And each day for the 12 days leading up to Christmas, you add one piece. And the way this, this family that started this tradition in their family, what they did is they would wrap up one of the, the next piece of the nativity is as a gift and put it under the tree or hide it somewhere for their kids to find and then their kids would find it and unwrap it and then they'd sit and read the part of the story that matches with that. And it's this piece of saying, how do instead of setting this up all at once in 10 minutes, saying, how do we draw this out? How do we make a practice that teaches the value of Christmas, that teaches the value of Jesus coming in and how do we find hope through that? And so if you go to that link, it'll forward you to the, to the post and there's a downloadable template of like cards and the list of the, the passages are there to read. And again, we're going we're gonna to email this out and put it on our Facebook and our social media pages for you to find as well later today. And I want to encourage you to consider this or, or maybe look at your own traditions and say, what are the pieces that we can add? What are the pieces that we can do that help us teach the value of Christmas? And how do we find hope through that? So let me close with praying for us together. Lord, you saw fit to come into our world, the world you created, to be in a deep relationship with us. And Jesus, we thank you that you chose to do that. Knowing what your life would bring, knowing what 
the end result would be that it would be agony for you so that you could have the joy of welcoming us into a deeper relationship. And Lord, that's what we pray for this Advent season, that we would be hopeful for a deeper relationship with you, that we would long for more of you in our lives. And Lord, would you help us see this week? Would you help us see our traditions with new eyes? Would you help us see the values behind them? Would you help us uncover and, dis- and, and reveal those and bring the values of our traditions back to the forefront? Lord, would you help us to see hope in those? And that as we prepare for this Christmas season, we would not become overwhelmed with the stress and the busyness, but instead we would be content with hope in you in what you have done, in what you are doing now, and what you are still yet to do. In your name we pray. Amen. Folks, I want to just encourage you one more time. Plan to be here for Christmas Eve if you're able to. Invite your family, invite your friends to come with you. And it's going to be an amazing evening to spend together focusing on these pieces, the joy, the hope, the love, and the peace of Christmas. So folks, I hope you have a great rest of your day. We'll see you here next Sunday. We hope this message helped you to take the next step in your faith journey. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us Sundays at 11 a.m. You can find out more about us by going to mygrandvalley.ca.